be a witness. You? We've got so much to witness about. God the Father loves us. God the Son who died and rose again for us. God the Holy Spirit given to us. And the world needs to see us as witness. So let's be it. Let's do it. I'll be a witness. I hope you will too. Let's learn better how to do it. Why don't you take a Bible and why don't you turn with me to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. If you're using the, the Bible here, the church, it's going to be on page 944. 944. We began a study in Romans 8 a couple of weeks ago. We come now today to verses 5 through 11. Romans 8 is given to help us have resilient faith. Faith that endures and knows what to do with the stuff that comes our way. And today we're going to be thinking about a resilient faith in relation to especially the stuff inside us. What I'm going to call soul struggles. Because the spirit can bring God's life down into your soul. The spirit can bring to you resilient faith and renewal in the midst of the daily struggles that you have within your heart, within your soul, against evil, against sin. That's what I mean by soul struggles. So, for instance, soul struggles, yeah. You know, you've got a grudge. What do you do with a grudge? It's a soul struggle. You, you, there's someone that, that, you, that you envy because that person has something you've always wanted or that person can do something effortlessly that you struggle to do or that person excels where you just middle. It's a soul struggle. There's a soul struggle to reject careless words, to reject put-downs and, and backbiting and spiteful comments and instead to, to present words of, of respect and love for your roommate or your spouse or, or your enemy. Some of us has, have soul struggles with food. Some of us have soul struggles with drink. Some of us have soul struggles with dishonesty, disloyalty, disrespect. We, we, we may differ, but we all have soul struggles. We all struggle what, with what Paul will call in this text, the flesh. And the flesh is the natural, inborn, downward pull of sin and self, and as it's accumulated over your life, memory. And that downward pull is the flesh, as Paul uses it here. Now, let me just say that for, as Paul uses it here, it, it's speaking of this downward pull, but, but the body, Paul does not see the body itself as something evil. Paul and Scripture are consistent in having great respect for the body. In fact, Paul himself will tell us later in this text that there is a day coming when God will raise your body in the age to come, will resurrect your body into eternal life, life forever in a, in a renewed body. God made the body. What Paul means by the flesh here is, again, that the body pulled down by evil. What he says in this text is that, yes, we need rescue, and God has given to us that rescue. Gospel rescue. 
all over this text. Let me read verses 5 through 11 of Romans 8. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death. To set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, Christians, all here who have trusted Christ as Savior and Lord, you are not in the flesh. You are in the Spirit. If, in fact, or we might translate it more accurately, since, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Christ. But if or since Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness, because of Christ's righteousness given to you. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this text. Now speak to all of us. Speak to those here who, thankfully, are, who are here, who, who are not yet Christians. Help them to understand better what the core of Christianity is about. Your good work in Jesus and through Jesus, the Holy Spirit. And for those of us here who are Christians, speak to us about soul struggles and help us to see how your spirit can bring your life down into our soul struggles. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Now, the big emphasis, the great news of this text. If you forget everything else, just remember this. The wonderful news of this text is this, that every single believer in Jesus Christ has the spirit of God inside. Every single believer in Jesus Christ has the Spirit of God inside. Up until now in this book of Romans, Paul has barely mentioned the Holy Spirit. Two times, maybe three, depending upon how you want to translate one text. But now, in chapter 8, verses 1 through 27, he will mention the Holy Spirit of God by name 19 times. And that does not include pronouns. He or him, that's all on top of that. The Holy Spirit is all over this text. Romans 8 is one of the most spirit-soaked texts in the New Testament. You say, well, let's get into it. I want to hear about miracles. I want to hear about gifts. Well, here's the thing. Paul writes about the Holy Spirit and miracles and gifts in other passages in the New Testament. He writes about the Holy Spirit and, and power. Power as you speak on behalf of God. He writes about that elsewhere in the New Testament. This text, he writes about the Holy Spirit in relation to our daily soul struggles. That's what he's going after here. Spirit versus flesh. 19 times he mentions the Holy Spirit by name. Now, for some of you, numbers, they don't grab you. 
So let me share with you a, a, a story and a picture through that story. Three weeks ago, Monday, my day off, Karen and I went down to Hamilton 24 in order to see the movie Downton Abbey. We'd watched the series on television. We went to see the, the movie. And, uh, I mean, we had a grand time. Uh, the movie is lavishly filmed. If you've seen the series, let me just tell you, all the characters in the movie will do all the things that you love for them to do that they did in the series. It's all very predictable. It's very sentimental. But we loved it nonetheless. It was perfect. We just had a grand time. But before we saw the movie, we had to pay a price. First of all, we had to watch, I mean, it felt like 10 dozen movie previews, okay? And then after the movie previews, we had to watch the ads. I think at one point there was a dancing hot dog on the screen. And certainly there was a flying cup of Coca-Cola and they were adoring couples eating popcorn. We had to get through all that. And then, after that, they did what I'll call the sound system show-off, where they turn on all the speakers around the perimeter of, of, of the theater. So you're now in Dolby surround sound. And you hear a baby crying, and you think, well, where's that baby? And you realize, it's just the speakers. You hear a cell phone ringing, you realize, it's just, it's just the speakers. You hear people talking around you. You feel like, will you please be quiet? And you realize, it's just the speakers. Surround sound is incredible. You're immersed in the sound. Now, when I was an early teenager, before I was a Christian, I used to listen to all my, my records, my 45 RPMs and my 33 long play albums. Uh, I used to listen to that vinyl. First of all, my early teens, on this record player. There it is. That was state of the art. Mine was blue, this one's red. Notice on that record player, see the little grill under the needle arm? That's the speaker. One point of sound, one source of sound, the one speaker. When I turned 15, my parents gave me an upgrade. I got this. There's this there was my new one. That one, you'll notice, has two speakers. One on the right and one on the left. They kind of have this, the, the corrugated you know, grill in the front there. And they could detach. So you could kind of spread them out and really get stereo. So I went from mono to stereo. And now today, I, sit, I go to a the theater and I sit in surround sound, which totally makes that look like, like, like Mickey Mouse, okay? It's just, it's just nothing. Here's the point. Why would I go back to mono when I can sit in surround sound? God in Christ Jesus has done an incredible surround sound thing for everyone who trusts Christ. He has taken his fullness as a three-in-one God, Father, Son, and Spirit. He's taken that fullness and he has surrounded the believer. In fact, he's done more than surround the believer. God the Father, if you're a believer, God the Father is over you, watching you, loving you, 
planning for you, attending to you. He's over you. God the Son, Jesus Christ, he's around you. The way Paul puts it is that the believer is in Christ, kind of like submerged in a liquid. It's all around you. And in Christ, all the spiritual blessings that Jesus earned for us through his death and resurrection, they're ours. In Christ, we're redeemed. In Christ, we're justified. In Christ, we're adopted. In Christ, we're, we're called. But then, with the Holy Spirit, God does something even better. He places himself, the living God, inside of you. So it's no longer just surround sound. It's, it's total immersion, inside and out sound, so to speak. Look at it in verse 9. Look what Paul says, verse 9, right there. He says, you, however, you Christians, are not in the flesh. You're not stuck there. But you're in the spirit. If, in fact, or since, in fact, that's a better way to translate that, the spirit of God dwells in you. And he goes on then to say, he kind of takes that truth, since the Spirit of God dwells in you as a believer, he goes on to say, well, listen, if, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, then he does not belong to Christ. A Christian, someone who's trusted Christ, been born again, a Christian, by definition, has the Holy Spirit inside of them. This is overwhelming. This is great news. Spirit living inside of you, the Father above you, the surround sound of the Trinity, the surround sound of the Son, the Spirit, and the Father, way beyond Dolby's surround stereo. Now, when Paul says here in verse 9 that the Spirit of God dwells in you, that word dwells is not the word that you would use to describe staying at a red roof inn for a couple nights. It's not it. This is the word that you use to talk about living at home, settling in to a home, becoming a regular presence in a home. The Spirit is not some uh, portion of the God that just kind of occasionally shows up for a night or two and then disappears. He's at home, a regular, committed presence inside you if you are a believer. Well, you say, well, I don't feel it. And I say, well, that's okay. But first of all, the spirit of God is, is spirit, which means it's invisible. It's immaterial. The spirit of God dwells, lives in you kind of like your housemaid or your husband or your sister lives and dwells with you. Sometimes you know it. Oh, my sister's playing that music again really loud on her little record player. <laughs> All right. But there are other times when you don't know it. She's upstairs studying, writing email, reading, talking on the phone. You, you don't hear it doesn't mean that she's not there. She's very much there. Sometimes the Holy Spirit who dwells in you is so totally obvious, convicting you of something, prompting you of something, 
directing you towards something. It's very obvious. But sometimes, many times, most times, in this age, the Holy Spirit is behind the scenes. There, for sure. Busy, for sure. But quiet. Barely noticeable. If you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit of God inside of you, whether you feel it or not. And Paul in this text wants you to to respond to that. He wants you to learn what it means to walk in the Holy Spirit, to live in the Holy Spirit, to set your mind on the things of the Spirit. In this text, verses 5 through 11, there are seven strategies for walking in the Spirit. You say, well, gosh, we're like 13 minutes into the sermon, seven strategies. Oh, my goodness, how long is that going to take? We're going to run through these. We're going to skate through these seven strategies. We're going to ice skate, not roller skate, ice skate. I mean, really fast. We're going to go right through them, okay? Here we go. Strategy number one is be prepared until the day you die to struggle with the flesh. Till the day you die, you are going to struggle with the flesh, even though you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. Look at verse 10. Look what Paul says. Verse 10. If Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life. Let's pick up on that phrase, although the body is dead because of sin. Paul's using the word dead there. The way we might say if we're watching a football game and it's the third quarter and the score is, you know, 72 to 3, we might say, man, this game is over. The game isn't over, but it is. I mean, you know where it's going to end. The end is clear. Same thing here. The body is dying, he's saying, and it will one day definitely die. Even for Christians who have this new life, the Holy Spirit within them, the spirit that one day, check this out, verse 11, one day will be involved in in giving you your new resurrection body. If that spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he will one day be involved in giving life to your immortal bodies. It's the spirit of the future resurrection. We Christians are people of the both and. We Christians are people of the already and the not yet. We're people of the already in that we already have the future inside of us. We've got God inside of us, the Holy Spirit inside of us. And we're tasting, when we really feel the Holy Spirit, we're tasting heaven. We've got that already, but you know what? It's not yet. We're in dying bodies. And the flesh is still very much with us. And we're not there yet. And every day, therefore, even though the Holy Spirit is inside of us as Christians, every day we will wake up, you and I will wake up into a body that's going to get a little bit older, a little bit more frail, a little weaker. Wake up into that, but we'll also wake up into the battle with the flesh. 
struggling with the flesh. And don't let that dailiness of struggle confuse you. Struggling with the flesh is not a sign that you are necessarily deficient in faith or some sort of spiritual loser. It simply means that as a Christian, you are already and not yet. Second strategy. Never forget the Holy Spirit lives inside you. I've already driven this home, but I mean, this is such an incredible thing that I, I don't think I can overemphasize it. Five times in this text, Paul says, in effect, in almost the same words, the Holy Spirit is inside of you. Look at it. Verse 9a, uh, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. There's the first one right in the middle of the verse. The spirit of God dwells in you. Uh, verse 9c, you have the spirit of Christ. Flipping that into the positive. Verse 10, I'm going to include this one. Christ is in you through his Holy Spirit. Verse 11, the spirit of him who raised Jesus dwells in you. And down at the end of the verse, the spirit who dwells in you. Five times he says it. Now, either Paul is at a la- loss for words... But Paul is never at a loss for words. Okay? He never is. So he's not at a loss for words. He's doing something intentionally here. He's, he's driving home the point because he knew that the Roman Christians needed to hear it. And, he, and by extension, he knows that we need to hear it. That the Holy Spirit of God is inside of us. And among other things, let us never lose the wonder or the hope or the, or the joy of that. Let me come at it this way. If you're a believer, I hope you know that the fact that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you is the fulfillment of Old Testament promise, of promise given down through the ages. Here's, here's a text from around 575 BC. This is Ezekiel writing, Ezekiel the prophet. Speaking to the Jews, they're in exile. They're in Babylon. They're not in Jerusalem anymore. They've been taken out there in Babylon. And look at what Ezekiel says. He says, speaking on behalf of God, I, the Lord God, will give you in exile. I promise I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart. Thank God. And I will give you a tender responsive heart. And now here comes the promise. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees, not by coercion, not by being cajoled or guilted. No, no, freely from the depth of your heart that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my uh, uh, righteous regulations. We are those We Christians are those upon whom the promise of the ages has come. And so even in the midst of your daily soul struggles with the flesh, never lose the hope. 
Never lose the joy. Never lose the perspective. The Holy Spirit is in you. It just changes everything. Third strategy is to realize that because you have now both the flesh and the spirit as a believer in Christ, the soul struggles inside of you are now more complex than ever. In this text, we have repeated contrasting phrases. Living according to the flesh, living according to the spirit, walking in the flesh, walking in the spirit, setting your mind on the things of the flesh, setting your mind on the things of the spirit. Clearly, there's a struggle. Every human being has soul struggles. I had a friend, he's now deceased. He became a Christian about a year before he died. Before that, I mean, he struggled with some very dark things in his soul. And he would call me up, oh, two, three times a year to talk to me. And he would typically call at like 12.30, 1, 2 o'clock in the morning. And he would always say, are you up? <laughs> well, well, yeah, I wasn't, but I am now. <laughs> and he'd talk. He struggled with these things. Now, understand what I'm going to say. That was a hard battle for him. But his battle, his struggle, was flesh against flesh. In other words, the better part of himself against the worse part of himself. Every human being has that. But the heart of the believer is now more complicated. We now have an added dimension to the struggle. It's uh, when we struggle, when we have those soul struggles, uh, it's flesh against flesh, the better part against the worst part, but it's also now the spirit against the flesh. Earlier in his life, Paul wrote this to the Galatians. He said, the desires of the flesh inside you are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit inside you are against the flesh. I mean, they're against it. They're butting up against one another. The, the two of them are constantly fighting each other. This complicates things so much. Complexifies things so much. Let me put it this way. As a Christian, you, your heart is a battle scene. It's a Gettysburg. But that's a sign of life. Not a sign of death. 17th century pastor, theologian John Owen put it this way. There is no duty we perform for God that sin, that the flesh does not oppose. And the more spirituality or holiness there is in what we do, the greater the enmity to it. Thus, those who seek the most for God, those who, who long to walk in the Spirit, seek most for God, will experience the strongest opposition. The flesh will rise up against it. So never forget that the soul struggles inside of you are more complex than ever. That's the third strategy. Strategy number four. When you are tempted to give into the flesh, preach aggressively to yourself. The flesh always leads to death. 
We human beings rarely choose evil just to choose evil. Even those human beings who choose malicious, malevolent, evil, evil, even they do it because there's something that they think that they can get out of it, something worth it, something good. People choose evil because they think they will gain something good. I'll put it this way. Sin's hook always has a juicy piece of bait on it. Always. Do not be deceived. Paul could not be any clearer than he is here in this text. Verse 6. To set the mind on the flesh is death. To set the mind on the flesh is death. When you choose to listen to, to go with the flesh, it's death. In other words, that choice, the, the, the thing that you will enter that will suck life out of your soul. That choice is going to lead to the kind of stuff that the scripture connects with death. Things like emptiness, isolation, guilt, shame, condemnation. So don't ever believe that you can choose the flesh and somehow choose life. Don't ever believe that you can choose the flesh and somehow please God. Don't rationalize it. Paul says it this way, verse 7 and 8. The mind that is set on the flesh is what? It's hostile, hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot submit to God's law. Those who are in the flesh, those who are in the flesh cannot. Please, God. These are the realities that you need to preach to yourself when you are tempted to set your mind on the flesh, to set your will on the flesh, to make a choice for the flesh, this will lead eventually, maybe not immediately, but eventually this will lead to death. That's the fourth strategy. Strategy number five. Identify and avoid the things that for you Set your mind on the flesh. Now, I underline you and your here because this strategy becomes very personal. Let me uh, draw you back to the text. It's interesting in Romans 8, this, 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 you know, peak of the cathedral of Christian theology in the New Testament. It's interesting that in this text, there are no explicit commands. There are no do this or don't do that. There are no imperatives. There are implicit commands. In other words, Paul will say something like when he says, you know, walk according to, he talks about walking toward the flesh. And you kind of get the idea of, gosh, I should walk according to the flesh. It's an implicit command, but there's nothing explicit. In this text, this is one of the portions of the chapter where you get most of these explicit commands. There are three of them. 
They come and kind of paired up. Number one, walk in the spirit. Don't walk in the flesh. Number two, set your mind on the spirit. Don't set your mind on the flesh. And then I'll add a, a third one down in verse 13, which we'll come to next week. Put to death the deeds of the flesh. So my point here is become a student of your soul and its tendencies. Learn what things push you to set your mind on things of the flesh. And that will be, in many cases, very specific to you, personal to you. So for example, those here who struggle with addictions will choose alcohol. Those who struggle here with alcohol abuse. You know that you cannot sit in the bar section of a restaurant without having your mind begin to set itself on the flesh. Other Christians can sit there, but you cannot. So don't at least this, this, this particular thing. Don't compare yourself to the person sitting next to you. Another example. Some of you can watch an R-rated movie and walk out of it unscathed. Others of you cannot watch an R-rated movie because it will cause you to set your mind on the things of the flesh. Deal with the soul inside of you. Deal with the Spirit's work inside of you. Forget the guy next to you, at least in this matter. Forget the person next to you. Learn what things cause you to set your heart on the flesh and avoid them. Verse 13, put them to death. Get them out of your life. Next strategy. This is the payer. With the fifth. The sixth strategy goes with the fifth. It's the positive form of it. Identify and practice the things that set your mind on the spirit. That set your mind on the spirit. Like the fifth strategy. Learn the things that help you recover a focus on what matters to the spirit. What's important to the spirit. Set your mind on the things of the spirit. And the things that are important to the spirit... They're, they're always about Jesus Christ, the Son. So, set your mind on the Spirit. And he can draw you back to Christ. And whatever things work for you to get you back to Christ, build them into your lifestyle. Build them into your environment. Build them into your schedule. <clears throat> Let me say it this way. You cannot... Walk in the Spirit without habits of the Spirit. Those habits will look different among us. But for the most part, they will all, always involve what I'm going to call the five tools that the Holy Spirit loves to use. And those five tools are number one, receiving the Word of God whether you 
read and meditate it with an open hard copy Bible or you listen to a podcast or listen to recorded scripture, whatever. Receive, welcome into your soul the word of life. You don't live by bread alone. You must live by every word that comes from God. Receive the word of God daily. Number two, praying and fasting. Same thing. Whatever it looks like, praying and, and, and fasting from time to time. It's so important to setting your minds on the things of the Spirit. Next, you've got authentic fellowship with other Christians, what I call gospel oxygen. Authentic, transparent, encouraging, supportive fellowship with other Christians. It's just like, it's what makes our souls breathe. Next, you have engaging in regular worship with other believers. Like, thank you that you're here this morning. This is exactly what gives our souls life. And lastly, number five, serving those in need. Holy Spirit of God loves these things. So identify and figure out what the, these things will look like in your life and get those habits in there. Lastly, seventh strategy. As you set your mind on the Spirit, eagerly look for signs of God's life. In other words, be on the lookout for God and how he's, gonna, how he's making a difference. God's making promises here. Let me show you two verses where he's making a rich promise. Verse 6, to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. And he repeats it down in verse 10. If Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life. The spirit brings life. God's life down into your soul. So look for it. Spot it. Know what to look for. Things like hope kind of a spark of hope or a, a move toward joy, a willingness to obey, maybe the weakening of a grudge or the urge to apologize, or forgive, and reconcile. A desire to, to be like Jesus, a desire to love Jesus more, a, love, a desire to honor Jesus more. These are all signs of life. This is the Holy Spirit bringing the life of God down into your soul. Desire to honor Christ in this moment, in, in this place, in, in this soul struggle. That's God's life in your soul against your soul struggles. Eagerly look for it. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. Thank you, first of all, that before anything was made, you loved us. And thank you that while we were still, still sinners, Christ died for us. And that's how you showed your love for us. And thank you now that you've given us the Holy Spirit that pours into our souls your love, your transforming power. So may we be people of the Spirit. 
May we walk in the Spirit. May we set our minds on the Spirit. May we live in the Spirit. All for the glory of Jesus. Amen. Let's sing a prayer. Prayer to the Holy Spirit, number 187 in your hymnals. Breathe on me, breath of God. Thank you.